0: And oh, by the way, ideas are addictive. You know, human <laughs> beings just, lo- we love it. We love it. I'm going to let let's you and I jam down on how we can solve HR. We're going to come up with a ton of ideas and we're going to love what we do. Right? It's going to feel good. It's going to really feel oh, good. <laughs> so good. So good.
1: This is the Rebel HR Podcast. The podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today, and leave us a review. Rebel on HR Rebels. Welcome, Rebel HR listeners. Thank you for joining us for another week. This one is going to be fun. Uh, with us today, we have Andy Bins. He is co-founder of ChangeLogic, Logic, a Boston-based strategic advisory firm. He works with CEOs, boards, senior teams, and tries to help navigate all of the complexities of change. His goal is to help organizations liberate their potential to excite the world with innovation. He has a guidebook uh, called the Corporate Explorer that helps with practices that enable managers to go from idea into action and demonstrates how success is not only possible but may offer entrenched companies better odds than venture 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 capital-backed startups.
0: Thanks for joining us, Andy. Hi there, Kyle. Very nice to be with you. Thanks for you for inviting me on your show.
1: Well, extremely excited, and you know it's it's one of those things that this topic for me uh, just just spoke to me. And and when I when I got the request to to speak with you, and I saw uh, some of the work you were doing, I said yes. We we need to talk uh, on the on the on the podcast. So appreciate you joining us today. And uh, we are going to uh, start by talking about change. So, what got you interested in helping organizations understand how to innovate? Uh,
0: well, you know, I th- I think what 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 got me really interested in this was um, I I I I really am a bad employee. Right? <laughs> I, I just hate being inside organizations at some level, and and so you know I I. I think that uh, I wrestled with that that issue, and the and the and the one place that uh, things seemed to click for me um, was when I was with IBM. Um, and this was twenty years ago, um, so you know that means I'd already had you know 10, 15 years of of, of being a bad employee before I got to this one. <laughs> and 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 I and I got assigned to work with um, IBM. Had these emerging business opportunities. And these were like new businesses. the idea was to um to create from the assets the company had some new places that it could explore right. and I was like okay i've not i uh, i've not I've read stuff about innovation. I had done some stuff in my previous consulting career around innovation um but this was the moment at which my imagination fired because I saw a place where the um um the, the the rebels um to use your term um g- could actually live in an organization that there is a role for those who want to push the boundaries uh and to take uh organizations in different way and i just thought it was a, a neat combination of innovation in large organizations um
1: i i love that and you know what's really interesting about that. Um, first of all, I love that you're like, yeah, I'm just not a good employee. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I would, I might, you know, flip that a little bit and say, you know, um, maybe you're not a good employee in an organization that doesn't let you be creative and innovative.
0: Is is that fair? Well, so, 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 so that that may be. But but the the interesting thing that um, that's embedded in your question about let you be right, yeah. is that it's the organization's job to enable us. And I don't think that's very often the recipe of success, right? And and so that's part of the thinking behind this book, Corporate Explorer, um, how corporations beat startups at the innovation game, is that when we look at examples of really successful innovation in large corporations, it has at the center a rebel, somebody who is going to seize an opportunity, sees a problem in the world they want to solve. And it's them who take bring the energy to bring the purpose, bring the passion to convert that into a business. And they're very rarely given the opportunity. Most of them take it. right? Uh, and, and, and that for me is a little bit of the same story. So you've got to take these opportunities. And yes, organizations can enable, and I don't we can talk about how you do that, but I just think that's an important sort of marker for, for 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 the way I think about organizations and innovation.
1: I think that's such an interesting point, and I have I don't know that I've ever really thought about it that way. But you are kind of bursting all of our bubbles in HR, where we think like it's up to us to build the you know the the platform for innovation, but. Um, what it sounds like to me in, in what you just described is it's more about us getting the right people empowered to do the work and then, and then getting out of their way. Am I on the right track there?
0: I, I, I think, I think you are. I mean, I think that there's a little bit more we, uh, we, we can say, but, but, um, the, 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 notion is that within most organizations and after a while, this isn't true, right? But if they can get to the point where where, where that you, you have a hard time with this. Most organizations, there are explorers. There are people whose bias is towards how do I create, create, create? How do I do new, 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 right? And then there are people who are much more, how do I optimize? How do I bring stability? How do I bring regimentation? And what you need to do is figure out how you set some number of those explorers free, not all of them, because then you just create a zoo, right? But allow some of these people to, to, to really drive, give them a license to explore, uh, uh, if you will, uh, and that and that is what will secure the sort of innovation outcomes um, that uh, many organizations are looking for. Uh, and and that, um, that, that impulse that they have is very similar to an entrepreneur, so some of what they do is different, and some of what they do is very uh, is, is 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 the same. It's it's a matter of understanding the difference between the two. There's one other thing, one other bubble I want to burst, Carl, if I may, which which I think is important. So, uh, and, and I'm afraid I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna blame HR for this one, uh, just, <laughs> just 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 for that. good. we're fair so, game. So, Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You asked me on your show. So so here here is what happened. Um, and and I, I will generalize this point in a sec. I'm in um, Germany in an unnamed large financial services company. And I'm with the head of global talent. And we're discussing the work we've done with them to think about how to create an innovation unit to explore some opportunities that they see to go after. And um, this is maybe my third or fourth visit uh, and I say to her, so, you know, leadership of this unit is really important. You know, what progress have you made? Ah, oh, yes, Andy, we we have come to a solution to this. We've decided we'll hire from outside because that way, if we fail, the consequences are less. Right. In other words, it won't do any harm to our talent succession if somebody fails and we have to eject them from the system. Right." Hmm outsiders have a really hard time leading innovation inside corporations because they have no social capital. They have no track record of performance. They don't have any favours they can call on from other people. And so what we find is that ones who are really successful at this have a track record. People know them. And when they fail, because we can get onto this, innovation is often about this notion of rapid failing learn learn by testing and and so on. That that you don't know is it the person or is it the idea? Did they learn something or is it just because they're not very good? But if they're an old timer, (laughs) there's somebody who has that track record, then you know to trust them. You say, ah, this is somebody who we they are doing something new and we know they've done well in the past, therefore we can trust them. And so part of getting this formula right is actually trusting the people you have already. It's not about always recruiting in The premier entrepreneurial talent, or even entrepreneurs in residence, is very much in vogue at the moment. This can get you some part of the way, and it's not—it's not irrelevant. It's part of the formula. But you've got to the corporate explorers are often high social capital, been in the company a while, but just exploratory, build relationships, know how to get things done, and you and the job is how do you set them free.
1: It's re- that's really interesting and it, and it does go counter to what so many organizations do right it's the well we need new ideas or we need to come up with you know a new go-to- market strategy or whatever yeah. uh, the the innovation need is and it's like the immediate default uh, choice is well we better go hire from the outside because we probably don't have that person inside the organization that's the assumption right like that's like the base yeah. <laughs> case assumption but um, it, what you just described, it's really interesting. I'm reflecting on innovation in the HR space, which is uh, obviously one of my favorite things to do. Sure. Um, but a, a great example, in my current organization, uh, I have been here for um, just about four years now. I didn't really start making any traction until about two and a half years in. And, and a lot of that had to do with exactly what you described. I didn't necessarily have any social capital. I was an unproven resource. People were like, I don't know if I want to give this guy any, any head count or yeah. invest. Cause I don't know if the direction that we're going here is, is, is worth it. Right. It's like, there was like that. And so I didn't have, really didn't have many resources. And, and, um, you know, fortunately now we're, we're making progress, but it, it's, it's slow. Yeah, It, it takes a long time. Um, but it's um, it's a really interesting point, so. and, it,
0: and it's, I've seen that in HR as well. One of my clients has had a succession of HR leaders. They're about to get another one, and unfortunately, the the initial reaction to the person coming in will likely be, "Well, is it worth me spending my time right with this person? Because you know the last two didn't 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 last." Uh, uh, either and it 's the same phenomenon, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you know we we just have to respect social networks, even in you know modestly sized organizations right um maybe especially in modestly sized organizations um because they they look and often are very you know friendly and affiliative, but that that isn't people may like you, but that doesn't mean that they're going to help you or that they're willing to put what they have now at risk uh that's the challenge
1: absolutely. So I think it's, you know, I I think one of the really interesting points you made is we think about, you know, things like org design and, and talent selection and, and where, you know, where's the right seat on the bus for this person was, was the point that you made about, you know, that balance, like the, the optimizers and the explorers and, you know, yeah, if you have too many explorers and it, it, it is a zoo. Right? It's like yes, a yes. bunch of monkey, monkeys swinging from tree to tree. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, where's, the, where's the entrance to the zoo again? Like,
0: how do we get yes, out of it? Yes, yes.
1: And uh, so, so as you, as you were, you know, writing this guidebook and kind of and yeah. doing your research and, and just in your, you know, your, your vast experience with organizations, uh, what, what tactics have you seen that work as it relates to, you know, how do I structure an organization
0: uh, to, to empower the right people?
1: And optimize the right roles.
0: Good, good, yeah, so so first, we think about innovation as being about three disciplines. Right? ideation, incubation, and scaling. and And they're each um, you know they're obviously related and 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 in real life they're not quite as separate as that makes it sound. You're often working on scaling even as you're doing ideation, but but for the purposes of understanding, think about them as three separate disciplines. And and ideation is about re- is about understanding unsolved customer problems. What are the the jobs that they want to do? Um, that if you were to solve for them, you know y- you could develop you know strong customer loyalty and attraction. Incubation is about experimenting um, using data um, to tell you which ideas to invest in uh, and avoiding the trap of investing ahead of your learning. Is one of those great big corporate things. Let's just spend money on it, right? Rather than let's move slowly, incrementally, incrementally, test and learn. And then scaling is about converting uh, a successful experiment into revenue. And it's a place where most uh, corporations or startups for that matter really struggle, right? Corporations have particular struggles, which is unfortunate because they have most of the assets <laughs> to do the scaling, but we, we can talk about that. One of the things that, So if you've got that sense of idea incubate scale, you're going to treat each of these differently, right? Idea is about engaging many people. It's um, inside the company, outside the company, deep customer insight. It's an opportunity to turn the company outside so that you drive as much outside-in innovation, not inside-out. It's not a matter of what you know, what technologies, processes, products you have. It's a matter of what problems you solve. So that that's a big piece of, of why ideation. I think also why CEOs often bring us back to ideation because they see that opportunity to connect us more with customers. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to make that a mass um, um, uh, involvement opportunity in a company. But you've got to select. Not everything you decide on is something that you're going to progress. So at some point you've got to say, okay, there's a down select to a set of opportunities um, that you're going to um, then incubate right now in the book we talk more about how do you set up ideation so that that's easier and we we talk about you know even in ideation narrowing around areas that have the most opportunity and things like that but at some point you're going to make a hard decision and then you incubate and at this point there's a st- you start to think about well we're we're ready to invest so i'm going to take some of kyle's time and i'm going to focus him on this innovation Right? So you start to we we often set up um, a sort of a sprint team or like an agile process, um, uh, and for the first ninety days, we've got people sequestered to a team for maybe you know half of their time um, to do this, uh, and they're going to go through that first level of validation of the business, and then after that first ninety days, you're going to decide are you going to pony up the investment to put people on a hundred percent, and at that point you're creating a venture that you're going to separate away from the core business, right? You've got to separate an explore unit from the core business. It doesn't have to be often a different building. Some people do put it in a different building or a different city. and, and But even if it's just on a different floor, or if there's a corner of the building that you can give it to, because often when you're exploring into new areas, it needs to work in a different way, have a different culture, different working practices, because you might be addressing a uh, a different customer set, or business model, or whatever, and then the scaling story—you're definitely into this as a separate organization with its own uh, routines and so on. Um, and so that—that's that sort of it changes as the innovation matures. Essentially, is that getting it what you're thinking? Of?
1: Yeah, that yeah, that's very helpful. And I think just you know, just the you know, kind of the systematic way to how innovation um, works. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times we hear you know, you hear these stories, right? Like the light bulb moments and somebody, you know, somebody was trying to, they were doing something, you know, at at 3M and stumbled across scotch tape, right? And it was because someone was trying to do some other random project that absolutely didn't work, but you know, they stumbled into it and, and you hear about these, but I mean, so often we're kind of, we're almost like paralyzed, like, okay, well, how do I? How do I actually make that happen in my organization? Right? Like, like how do we? How do we figure out Scotch tape on accident? <laughs> and, and
0: and and Kyle, I think this maybe where you're going. My reaction is we're solving the wrong problem. Right? That, that, that we're solving the how do I get lots of ideas problem, and and oh by the way, ideas are addictive. <laughs> you know, human beings just—we l- love it. We love it. I'm going to let, let you and I jam down on how we can solve HR. We're going to come up <laughs> with a ton of ideas, and we're going to love what we do. Right? It's going to feel good. It's going to really gonna, feel oh, good. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. But 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 the problem is about is all about incubation and scaling, and and it's not about creativity. I've got nothing against creativity. i have got to think about generating lots of ideas, but really we're focused in the wrong place and this is one of the challenges that corporations get into so that's why we end up with orga- with um innovation schemes that just have t-shirts or mugs or or big large scale events or you know jamborees uh, uh, of ideas rather than doing the the that that committed stuff of actually innovating and the energy can't come from the organization alone it's got to come from these corporate explorers that's why they're so important, because that, that is what works externally. You know, venture capitalists rely on great entrepreneurs, and they look for serial entrepreneurs, right? people who know how to do this so that it's in their bones to be an explorer. And, and that is what, what you see in corporate explorers as well. It's people who just have that passion, commitment, uh, and also, and this may be different to many entrepreneurs, selflessness. They have to be ready to let other people make them successful. Right? Uh, and so that means sometimes they're less showy, less um, uh, it's all about me than than than, than we're looking for. right? So, so you might have explorers in your organization, you haven't realized it because they don't make as much noise. But actually their capacity to lead and their capacity to ad- identify opportunities may be outstanding. And that's certainly the case that we see in some of these uh, stories in our book.
1: Uh, that's a really interesting point, and I'm reflecting. So, my organization, we uh, uh, we make equipment, uh, manufacturing mm-hmm. equipment, you know, capital, big grinders and things like that, you know. Um, and so, we have a lot of engineers, and it's you know, mechanical yes. minded engineers, people who are just trying to figure out, okay, how do I make this, how do I make this work a little bit better, how do I help out a customer, yes. and 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 some of our best innovators, as you describe that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking through some of the like we're talking like literally industry changing innovators mm. they're super introverted mm. uh they're not showy they would never take credit for anything despite all the publications that prove them wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and but but they are just they are churning out right. that work and um to the point that you know the the industry looks at them as innovators not just the organization and yeah, you know and and if we don't incubate those those folks and and allow them the opportunity to scale, um, anybody in the industry would hire them sight unseen at whatever salary they asked for, which would yeah. not be much because they're humble and yeah. <laughs> selfless yeah. and you know yeah. the, and 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 it's uh, it, it's a really interesting point. You know, a lot of times we think about these flashy, you know, Tesla driving um, entrepreneurs, uh, maybe that's not the right profile. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: that's right. And, and, and many of these innovation programs involve setting up, um, you know, high profile innovation labs and so on, which I think instantly have a role. Um, but they, they're not the same as what you just talked about. You know, I bet that none of these people had an innovation lab. <laughs>
1: they had an office with a yeah. with a couple of greasy parts and some and, yeah. and, a, and an idea yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Exactly. exactly now sometimes you need to think about how can i do a dynamic duo right so maybe they're so introverted they can't commercialize or they're not very customer connected and and actually if you look at many successful startups you know, like Yahoo or Google, you actually see a dynamic duo. There's an insider and an outsider. And sometimes you have to look at that kind of combination to get the right sort of uh, corporate explorer effect that you're looking for. Um,
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, this is just really kind of interesting. I think the thing that is, um, is, is, is probably my favorite thing about this conversation is it's, it's turning so many things on their head that we kind of just assumed about innovation. And I think a lot of times we're really reading like some of the, it's, it's almost like you're reading the headline without reading the article about innovation. And you just assume like, Oh, this person's, this person's a genius. Nobody else could ever figure this out, you know? And, um, or this, this, this organization has, you know, has this figured out because they just, they hired the smartest people, but you know, there, there's more to it than that. So as you were, you know, putting this guidebook together, Mm -hmm. um, I've got to believe that you probably um, learned quite a bit, and through some of the research process, what were some of the things that actually surprised you
0: as you were yeah. putting together this uh, this resource? So, um, so one of the things that surprised me in, in a way is just how many examples of corporate explorers are out there. I just, you know, we we, we started with the premise from our own experience, but then the more we looked, <laughs> the more we found. Uh, and it's interesting. It's kind of like the, 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 it, it's because it makes the the, the the statement, you know, big company innovates in a new area. <laughs> it's not a, It's it's just not a headline, right? <laughs> and so and so we, we we don't see it, and therefore we believe the notion that it doesn't exist, right? Um, and so we were. Uh, it was it was extraordinary how many and how many have actually turned up since we wrote the book. Um, you know, people who reach out to me, one of the ones I've enjoyed most of all is um, this lady, um, Yoki Matsuoka at uh, Panasonic. And Yoki um, was on the founding team for Nest, the, um, you know, the thermostat now owned by, by by Google. So she's a serial entrepreneur, crazy smart AI person, MIT PhD, and so on. And now she works for Panasonic She's been. She lived in America for for many years. Um, so I think think she, since her teenage years. So she's got Japanese and American. But now she set up this thing called Yo Labs, working for Panasonic, an executive officer of the company, creating new ventures for them. And, mm. and 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 I and I was like, wow, I had no idea that a Japanese, a big Japanese company, was making those kinds of steps. Um. Uh, and we've we've seen it many other places as well. That sort of su- so it's just the surprise uh, of the uh, of the amount that's out there. Yeah, it is. It is
1: funny because I I started my organiz- or my career in an organization with uh, with three hundred thousand employees, and mm-hmm. everything was a best practice, right? Like so it's like you literally had a guidebook on oh how do I wh- what binder in my office goes on what shelf, right? And it was right. it was all about control yes. Yes. and you, you, you know, don't, yeah. you're a cog in the wheel, don't step outside of it or you get that's smushed, right. you know? And so, yeah, to me hearing the term, you know, large organization and innovation, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, it's, it's okay. That's a buzzword, right? It sounds good. It, you put it on a recruiting flyer, but what is it actually like cool. Like to work there? Right. So, so at those organizations that, that have, have kind of figured this out, um, Do you consider it a, is it an, is it the ability to spot that talent as they're hiring people or do you consider it more of an ability to develop people that just kind of have this natural inclination? Any insights there?
0: Yeah. I think, I think we do need to make um, this, um, identification of of talent probably when they've been recruited. I don't know that you you bake it into a recruitment process necessarily, but certainly when you've recruited people into the company, are these explorers? How many explorers have you got? And and in your talent management system, you know, tag them. Be aware of who they are. And and there are good. Um, you know, tools that will, will tell you this. So there's one uh, by a firm called Human Insight in the Netherlands um, that does a great profile actually of a whole team that says are they exploratory or are they uh, more stability oriented and so on. Mm. Uh, we talk a lot about that, but it's, it's a good tool. So use something like that. There are, there are others out there that will do something similar. And, and, and then I think the other thing you need to do is create these opportunities where they feel they have the license to explore. Right. So um, it, it, in one of our clients, um, it was a, a particular project they set up for the, um, the Internet of Things. Right? It's a technology firm. They wanted to figure out how they could connect more of their devices to, uh, uh, to the cloud and use AI to add value-added services. And so they just invited people to join a series of teams to go explore those opportunities. And set up processes like that, but processes that have a clear decision-making um, um, approach tied to them so you don't get into the zoo with ideas that that, that, that never end. Um, and so you're, you're going to do identification of the explorers and we're going to do, I'm going to have a license to explore and I'm going to have some way of picking the winners out of that process and then separating them out because, as you say, this core business or exploit business operating system will kill them unless they've got a separate explore business system. Mm. They need to have some separation. And this is this is the you know one of the two or three biggest things that the organization can do to make this work uh, is is create that separation and allow them to operate in a different way, be measured differently, not on you know the lag outcome results of revenue and customer adoption but on you know how many milestones have they hit what have they learned um, how close are they to um, uh, to the sort of indicators that they're that, that they're being successful and if you can do that piece right um, then then you know you'll be a long way forward to empowering your explorers
1: yeah I think that's really interesting you know what's interesting about that is it's the it's the same idea as the large organization who is very structured has, but it's putting that structure in into a format that actually uh, fosters the exploratory, you know, success, right? Yes. It's that, yeah. you know, we always talk, we talk about KPIs all the time, right? And it's always, you know, quality delivery on time, you know, right. et cetera. And, um, you know, but when you're talking about innovation, you know, yeah. How, um, I can't remember the organization now, but, you know, I know the organization that, that actually tracks how much failure do you have?
0: Um, I think <laughs> I it's,
1: I think it's, um, I think it's Mars, uh, really, that they actually yeah. track, you know, Good. yeah, it, you have to have so many failures this month, uh, or you're not successful. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. Well, you must be sandbagging, right? If, if, right. if you never fail, right. it's because you're too safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So,
1: uh, really really fascinating and and i think um you know i I, from my standpoint i'm just thinking geez i don't know i don't know that we do a good enough job with that right you know we're still trying to fit our explorers into the same box as everybody else you know one of the things that i think through is um you know compensation and incentive programs and a lot so we're trying to figure out uh, right now, what, what, what is an incentive program that makes sense, that is controllable, but makes sense, but also allows for the, you know, the kind of the entrepreneurial flexibility that, that we need, uh, to innovate. So what, what are your thoughts there
0: on Uh, on that? So this, this is a, a, a chapter in, in our book, uh, is around, um, uh, rewards and incentives. And, and, and so there's, there's, There's an assumption, again, that the best way to get corporate explorers in your organization is to figure out how to pay them in a way that reflects what an entrepreneur might get, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, you know, in some cases, that's led to companies um, actually spinning out a company with employees in, right, and then buying them back again and having them operate in the company. All that meant is that suddenly you were sitting next to a millionaire, and <laughs> you know yeah. that that didn't really help employee engagement or, or, or could, or, you know, could be more all reducing <laughs> Right, right. And you know the funny thing is that all of the really successful explorers that we talk about in the book, like uh, Jim Peck at LexisNexis, right, it's an Ohio c- uh, company, right, uh, and they built this um, LexisNexis uh, Risk Solutions, or Um, We talk about Christian Kurtisch at Unica Insurance in um, Hungary and now uh, Austria, uh, or Kevin Carlin at Analog Devices, creating this condition-based monitoring business. They didn't have any special incentives. Yes, they benefited personally um and, and and jim is now on his third gig as a ceo right so you know their careers grew they've done well you know hopefully financially as well but there was no special incentive scheme to allow them to do that i think there are some modifications you can make maybe to um to put them on longer term incentives rather than anything that's shorter term but but this sort of shadow stock and all these other kinds of ways of giving special incentives uh, I think you know, it could lead to some very unfortunate outcomes and there's no evidence that they're needed. Um, what's needed is, you know, this, this giving them the license, putting them in a position that they can succeed.
1: You know, I think that's really interesting. Um, and it, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, all the research around incentives, uh, you know, especially monetary incentives or, or, you know, uh, short-term incentives, yeah. you know, that a lot of times we put this, this goal in place or this metric and we think, okay, if, if this metric is achieved, here's the incentive and that is going to impact human behavior in a, in a positive way because that yeah. this is a driver. But, um, I, I, I can only assume that in your research and, and in your work with corporate explorers that many of them are probably not as driven by, by money, but they're more driven by the opportunity to make a change
0: or make an impact or innovate. That's right. I mean, and one of the corporate explorers that we talk about. Um, he, he had this idea. So this is, um, Christian Curtis in, in Hungary. He had this idea for a entirely new insurance business model. And, um, in the book, we tell the story of how he gets agreement from his managers to go forward with it. But he also took it to venture capitalists. He had two firms ready to back him to spin it out as his own firm. And he makes the choice to stay inside, knowing that the financial rewards would be different. But, you know, it's about his tolerance of risk, the sorts of risks he wants to take, right? We often miss, we think of risk as just being one kind of risk. There's lots of different risks we take. Right? And he was willing to take the risk of moving, you know, being unpopular with his colleagues, right? Right and but but, but he wanted to stay within a corporate environment because he liked the assets uh and the ability to get things done, and he liked the people he's a part of a system you know he actually l- likes where he is and the people that he's that he's with he's a part of that community right um and so the th- it it it's for him the finance wasn't important at well was, I don't wanna, wasn't as important I'm sure he cares about money um uh, but what mattered was that he could do this and reinvent his own firm because he's a part of that firm. He's a part of that community. It matters to him. It's part of his values to be there. It's part of his values. Did this from Hungary, but this is now moving across Europe, and, and it matters to him to be a proud Hungarian as well. You know, and 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 the same is true of you know in in Ohio. I'm sure you know it's just like <laughs> what the difference you make to your community, to your city, to your company. Actually, for some folks, is a big motivator in all of this.
1: Yeah. Just take a look at how many people wear like college football teams on their, yes. on their clothes. right? <laughs> sometimes that, sometimes that drive is, yes. is as important um, yes. or, or very important. Yes. Um, yes. So I do want to talk, I, I have one more question and kind of yeah. in the same vein and it's, I think it, it's about organizations who are changing rapidly and becoming more corporate. So, you know, going through a growth journey and, 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 you know, naturally, when you g- get bigger, you start to put in more stuff, more bureaucracy, more controls, more, you know, more of a corporate mass to make sure that things are checking and out and everything. So, so how, how do organizations retain what got them there, that entrepreneurial edge, that innovative spirit? You know, what, what are the strategies to make sure you don't lose your kind of your core purpose there?
0: This uh, this is really important, Carl. And, and and we've been um, we've consulted to a couple of firms that you know we would call unicorns, and you know they've both gone public in in, uh, in the last um, in the last year through you know the SPAC route to going public. And 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 it's exactly the story. We've always been entrepreneurial. We're now you know um, one of them a billion dollars in value uh, in, in revenue as well as in value. More more value, and 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 and, there's new things we want to do, but as we started to try to do them, we struggled. We couldn't do the thing, and and it comes back down to the founding team. Right. So in both of these stories, what we find is that the entrepreneur that started it didn't have a system for replicating what he did. Right? And it is both he in these in, the, in these instances. Um, and that their response was to to want to continue to control as much as possible on the grounds that, you know, they're the smartest people in the room. Right? And they structured the organization and its innovation in such a way that everything came back to them. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with Jeff Bezos. Right. Maybe not our poster child and everything. Um, <laughs> he does
1: have a spaceship.
0: <laughs> he does have a spaceship. God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the corporate Explorer. How to innovate without the spaceship? That's what I should have called it. Actually. <laughs> and, and but Bezos has a has a has a recipe, right? He has a. Um, everybody gets the right to propose new ideas, and he's got this PR FAQ system: one-page press release. What the customers get out of uh, my innovation. FAQ, frequently asked questions, my backup as to the kinds of questions you might have about how we're going to get it done, right? System for how that can get proposed. And if you have uh, an idea that people like, okay, well, I'll give you a two-pizza team. In other words, only so many people can be fed by two pizzas, right? To go work that up into uh, an MVP and we'll take it into trial and find out. This is the incubate piece that I talked about. And then when he scales... Amazon has all these separate units that operate with some high degree of autonomy, but they're all linked by two things. They're linked by APIs, so everything is interoperable, and secondly, uh, by a management system that is consistent, so they can all, all of their performance is transparent and the comparison to others is transparent. And so uh, this is the difference. Do I think I replicate innovation results just by my personality, or do I put in place some minimal system that allows ideas to come up and give them the autonomy without sacrificing the access to the the assets of the core business, if you will? So does that make sense? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. That you know, it's
1: um, it's a really interesting um, I- example, and I'm just reflecting on you know your um, you know kind of your comment that that corporate innovators have an advantage over some of these VC firms. And it sounds like to me, it's, I mean, sound, it's the systems, it's the yeah. structure yeah. that can enable the scaling in the, in yeah. the incubating and not just yeah. the,
0: not just the light bulb ideas. And, and, and the fallacy that many of us sit with is that, that it's the ideas that matter, right? Mm. We all think that like Polaroid and Kodak and, um, Nokia and these other firms that they got disrupted and kicked out of, you know, and sent into bankruptcy because they didn't see digital technologies coming. They didn't see digital photography or they didn't see app stores and touch screens and smartphones. It's totally untrue. Right? They all had the technology. They all had the insights. And Polaroid had the world's first megapixel camera in the market in the 90s. Hmm. The issue is they couldn't execute. It's about how do you use these assets that makes the difference, not whether you have the ideas. Uh, and and that is the hard part of it. You know, I I portrayed a very positive story, and I and 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 my my I've written this book with two professors, and you know, um, Mike Tushman from the Harvard Business School, Charles O'Reilly from Stanford, and so. I've got another story about what it's like to have you know a Harvard and a Stanford professor marking your work every week. But, <laughs> okay Sounds a little <laughs> it's a little intimidating, a little Yeah, but 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 um um, I forgot what I was going to say. Then um, what did I say before that?
1: Yeah, you were talking about um the uh, um execution and uh, and then we've had a positive slant on this.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. But- so Mike Mike Tushman Mike, Mike Tushman always says. What are the counterfactuals?
1: Right?
0: Mm-hmm. It's all very well to have these great stories, but it has to be, a, and there are counterfactuals in the book. And the 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 biggest is GE, right? And how it pursued GE Digital, um, and 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 what killed it was the social network, right? And so a lot of the um, there's the sort of there's a lot of uh, a view that if you have the CEO support, you must succeed. Well, he had all the support Jeff Immelt, the CEO of GE, could possibly give him right it, it 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 the 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 guy stuck his future on this strategy to be a software company and 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 that but the, those weren't the things that killed bill rue the leader of GE digital it was the sort of silent killers in the organization uh like the system of optimization and so on so it i i i do need to 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 um to highlight that this can be tough uh, as well no shit yeah. no, no different no doubt <laughs>
1: That sounds like everything in HR, you know, you you start with these great intentions, and then, and then, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. And
0: and HR has a has a core explore problem the whole time, because, you know, I want to get paid, I don't want to, and if I'm managing, I don't want to end up in prison for some breach of regulation. know, there is a there is a core business of HR that you cannot um, screw up. And then there has to be an explore, you have to, again, see these as separate. And I think, this notion of separating the two may be appropriate in hr as well um rather than trying to make everything i i, I personally hugely dislike um the the um, um um the the ulrich model uh of of the gen- the hr generalist mm. because the generalist it's in that name and i i don't i don't think this is I, well i think it's open to challenge as to whether that really is the role of hr right, right. Uh, and that you, because the skills of delivering the repeatable results on pay conditions, employment law are completely different to. I'm going to figure out how to do innovation. I'm going to figure out how um, to contribute strategic skills. Uh, I'm going to figure out how to make hires uh, and refresh our leadership team or board. Right. So I, I just think that these are two different things as well.
1: I I actually I agree one hundred percent. And it's and maybe this is just you know I'm just happy that you you said that because that's how I've structured my my department. But you oh. know it's it's the you know I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think it, it it comes down to the the research on you know um, behavioral competencies and mm-hmm. what people are actually good at and what strengths do they have. You know. The person who is the compliance and payroll and all of the really, really critical stuff that you can't screw up, that you know, the, the, the competencies that they have are very different than the competencies that I have, which is strategy and cultural sensitivity and And you know, being flexible to change and 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 dealing with dynamic situations and really emotional situations, and you know, it's just there's a dichotomy. You know, a human can't be all those things. It's just the reality of the situation. So I I agree. Now, for all you HR people of one out there, and you got an entire department, and you are a true generalist. You know, I I feel you. I've been there too. (laughs) (laughs) But. If at all possible, if you, you know, if you can be aware of that and, yeah. and as you think about your organization, if there are things that yeah. you can structure yeah. uh, to allow, yeah, you know, for, for a, you know, a little bit of a diversion of how you measure success, um, but depending upon the, the, um, the actual task, um, that would be my recommendation there. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. And I should say it's easy to think about what I'm this corporate explorer story as only being about the largest organizations, Um, but I can give you, you know, quite small organizations that have done this as well. Certainly, (laughs) ones below 100 employees. There will be a point at which it's hard because you can't split an individual. I get that. Um, So you know, there is a point at which it's 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 difficult. But certainly the 20s, 30s, uh, and upwards, uh, I, I can point to organizations with corporate explorers. Who renew themselves. Absolutely.
1: Well, this has been just a wonderful conversation. Unfortunately, we were coming to the end of our time together. So I do want to get through uh, the rebel HR flash round questions. Yes, go for it. I'm fascinated to hear these answers. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite people book?
0: My favorite people book? Uh, my favorite people book right now is uh, the one uh, by Reed Hastings around uh, Netflix. Mm. um that. Uh, um, the, the I love the way that he describes, uh, yes, the sort of way in which he, you know, with his HR leader, deliberately constructs the culture at at Netflix. But I also love that it starts with a sort of humility uh, of, you know, we didn't get here with a brilliant, like, oh, I was always going to do this. We realized we were screwing up. (laughs) We had a problem we had to solve and if we were going to scale this business we needed to change I thought that was a tremendous uh, really uh, uh, fun book and very insightful for, because of that humility
1: absolutely and talk about an innovator right I mean the, you know yes. the, from from mailing DVDs to your house yes. um, to uh, yeah you just push a button on your remote and you can watch whatever you want <laughs> That's
0: right and they, and they have they have reinvented themselves several times and there's a Harvard case that will tell you how they could never make a move from dvds to streaming (laughs) people bet against them um uh, at that point
1: Uh, i wish i would have bought that stock
0: a while ago yes oh well (laughs) all right question number two who should we be listening to uh, so I, I have to say that I, I don't listen to a lot of business podcasts. So I, I, I listen a lot to uh, a gentleman called Mike Duncan, um, who uh, has done a bunch of podcasts. One of them, the history of Rome, but I, I, I'm an addict of his of his very long running sequence of revolutions podcasts, uh, and and he's gone through the British revolution, the, the English Civil War, revolution, the American Revolution. Until I became a citizen, I'd call that the uh, the rebellion, but you know, now I recognize it's the revolution. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're um, not allowed to be a citizen if you call it that. I don't, th- I don't think yeah. that's on the test.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. The, Fre- the French revolution and so on. And, <laughs> and, and what's really interesting is that when you listen to like these 10 revolutions, you get a few things and revolutions happen when, when people resist change, when they try to stop renewal, right? When they don't explore into the future adequately or learn their way into the future. And so in this, in, in these stories of history, you get the same stories of what happens to companies that don't renew themselves. And I just love, I love the way he presents it. And, uh, and the, uh, so, so Mike Duncan is who I, who, who people should listen to. Awesome. Thank you.
1: All right. Last question. Uh, great conversation today. Just wonderful content. Uh, how can our cl- listeners connect with you and, uh, get their hands on the corporate explorer?
0: Um, well please um, go to uh, Amazon or your favorite e-commerce uh, uh, ven- vendor um, and uh, look for Corporate Explorer uh, by uh, Andrew Bins, Mike Tushman and Charles O'Reilly uh, the Awesome
1: absolutely um, it, it just wonderful um, wonderful conversation today really appreciate you coming on and sharing a, a different perspective uh, from the kind of the conventional wisdom. Uh, and uh, really really kind of stretching our, uh, our, our minds here a little bit. So thank you, Andy.
0: Thank you, Kyle. I enjoyed it enormously. And uh, thanks to all of your listeners. And, and if people buy the book, read the book, love your feedback. Perfect. Thanks.
1: All right. That does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby